My name is Rina Sandra. I am the author of the book uh, The Modane India, which is written in Norwegian. And I'm also founder of the club, The Modern India. You can see that green house on the top there. That is the club. And please, for all of you who are in the room, uh, be informed that this conversation will be recorded. Uh, and it will be posted on our podcast next week. And uh, we are very excited about uh, today's topic. Um, the topic for today's podcast episode is face out to face down. And we will try to explore why India pushed for cold face down instead of face out. Um, at COP26, countries committed to new ambitious, tar ambitious targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions this decade. Delivering on these promises will rely on the development, financing and scale-up of green technologies. China and India, the two biggest producers, consumers and importers of coal, sparked the last-minute drama at COP26 by forcing a compromise that led from phrase out to be changed to face down. What does this mean? And what about Norway and Norway's role at COP26? 26. Please excuse my Norwegian English. <laughs> we have invited Surbi Singvi, who is manager for energy at World Business Council for Sustainable Development, for an update on COP26. We also have with us Stig Trovik. He is director of climate and environment in Udav, the Norwegian government agency for development cooperation. And we also have with us Truls Gulovsen, managing director of Naturvernforbundet. A big thank you for the speakers for joining us. And as you will see, Thoralf and you will see Surbi, just for, I see there are a few people in the room who are having this party hat. I just want to say that that is a hat that says that you are new on Clubhouse. After one week, that hat will be removed from your profile. So, let's start with the following questions. What are the implications of the coal, coal language in the Glasgow Pact? I would like to start with you, Surbi, and then over to you, Stig, and then over to you, Truls. Please go ahead, Surbi. Hi, Rina, and hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Uh, a very pertinent topic. Uh, right after COP, it's, of course, very important to know what happened and what are the implications of it, uh, because this is probably the biggest challenge of our generation that we are facing, which is a climate crisis, right? Um, your question is on implications of the coal language. I think... Um, as an energy transition enthusiast, uh, it is super exciting to see that coal and fossil fuels in general um, have made entry into a text that has been commonly agreed to by 197-odd countries. And these countries are at different stages of different stages and different levels of development, right? So I think it's it's really exciting to see that all of them have agreed to have to phase down unabated coal and phase out subsidies uh, from fossil fuels. Um, it is, to me, it is a clear indicator that uh, all of us together, all these countries understand the whys and the what's uh, of um, the science behind climate change and what is needed to be done in the race towards sustainability. And very thank and I'm, I'm very excited also to see that the focus now is on how. 
and what are the kind of technologies that are needed. So very clear indicator on uh, going past coal there, um, be it phasing down or phasing out. So uh, a short answer to your question on um, how do I see the coal language in the Glasgow Pact? I'm very it's, I see it as an achievement by the nations altogether uh, to have put, this is the first time ever that uh, has coal and fossil fuels uh, mentioned in it. So I see it as a great achievement. Sig, you attended uh, COP26, you were there in Glasgow. What is your take on this phase out to phase down? I think uh, Therby uh, covered it uh, very, uh, very well. Um, I think it's very uh, important that this uh, language is, uh, is now, uh, now there. Um, I think the semantics between phase out and phase down is probably not that uh, important. But I think maybe there's one, one part of this which Serbia also touched upon yeah, is financing for, for energy transition. And I think for for Norway's part, we we recognize that that is a very important uh, piece of uh, of this puzzle. Is how can can we as uh, development actors uh, contribute to uh, to uh, phasing up uh, renewable energies and thereby contribute to phasing down or out um, fossil uh, fuels. So for Norway's uh, part, one of the things that this government has promised to do is to to scale up the financing for climate in general and for renewable energies in in uh, particular. So I think that is that is one one aspect of it. I think also sort of interestingly, uh, this the COP has become an arena where where what developing what big developing countries say and exactly exactly how they say it receives much more attention than previously yeah? so, uh, so i think that's also an interesting part of this that uh, phasing out or phasing down in itself became uh, became something that was much uh, much uh, discussed i think that shows also the the importance uh, attributed to what India does and says in uh, in this uh, forum. Thank you. And now over to you, Truls. What is your take on uh, this phase out to phase down? Well, it seems like uh, we completely uh, kind of agree very much on this. That that is not very important, um, but it was it was hailed as a as a huge loss, and I think it was plenty of other big losses in uh, in uh, in the cop that were far more important um than than uh, than in a way nuances in in this language uh, it should of course be be all fossil fuels not only coal and it can be very many other things that could be in this language so so um let's say the main the main problem with the COP was that the, the sum of commitments is still not enough to take us where we need to go. Uh, not not sort of nuances in the final declaration text. And I think it's when it comes to the text it's 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 also a very big achievement that the entire world agreed to have 
stock taking events every second year uh, to to reconsider uh, and strengthen commitments in light of science that's a, that's a much bigger victory from the cop and very important that all countries including china and india agreed to uh, compared to to nuances in how we describe uh, phase out or phase down call because if we agree that we need to go to 1.5 or 2 degrees there there is no future space for coal um, anyway but it's very good that fossil fuels get named uh, but exactly how they get named is uh, I think less important as long as countries do as much as they can to get rid of them yeah and I think um you absolutely have a point. Uh, the fact is that, uh, that that we have a pact is the most important thing. But I just want to go back to you, Surbi, because India drew severe criticism for the face-down approach. I'm in Norway. Uh, you work with energy in India. Uh, what were the reactions in India when this, I mean, I remember the weekend where like Saturday and Sunday, they were, I mean, every major newspaper had that as like the headline um, uh, that India has in some ways sabotaged. How was it to be in India? And and what is your perspective on that? So can you enlighten us a little? Sure. I think I completely agree with Riggs and Rules on this. Uh, semantics has always been important uh, at COP. You, uh, I mean, there are there are discussions on you know using the word like urge versus need versus ask, and all of these make a huge difference, right? Um, but in line with what Riggs and Rules said, I don't think I personally don't think it's phase down versus phase out is such an important debate as it is being portrayed. And uh, I've seen. Um, Probably the experts in the uh, climate and energy uh, space in India as well as globally uh, even um, concur with that. So there are, of course, a lot of noises in the media about how China and India spoiled it towards the end. Um, but I completely agree that there are a number of other disappointments uh, that we would have that that we expected would happen but didn't happen. So uh, so I think this is nowhere in that priority list of disappointments um, also I think um, you also have to see where India is coming from so it's actually a country uh, and, and there are many others like India which are uh, faced with of course climate change is a big challenge for India like any other country in the world all of us face this challenge equally and it's one of the most important challenges that we face today but another and equally important challenge that India faces is to lift those people uh, who are not, and, and most of the people, uh, most of the population of India still doesn't live well. And we can't apply the same lens uh, to this challenge as is being applied in case of countries where most people, almost all or most people are already living well. So, so India has another important challenge that it needs to uh, cater to. And hence, when you take both these together, um, I think... It, it is perfectly justifiable for India to even uh, ask for phase down. Uh, this is nowhere, I'm nowhere saying that coal should remain. I think science has made it very clear that coal should not be there uh, and we have to go past coal. But I think, I also think that India has always been um, very pragmatic uh, in its approach towards making commitments at global stage. And I, I take it as a very pragmatic approach that India has taken because 
as things stand today lack of finance uh, lack of the promised finance that we were supposed to get from other nations uh, lack of visibility on how technologies would be transferred or what can replace coal as efficiently uh, and as reliably uh, as coal was i think keeping all of that in mind i think india took a good stance in terms of agreeing that we need to go past coal but let's say we're phasing down um but at the same time i don't think it's it's that important uh, about phase out versus phase down and the criticism also i think is something that generally happens after events uh, because media also uh, has talking points and there are discussions happening on it but but i think a very good positive is that a country like india which is at a very initial stage uh, and is developing uh, has agreed to uh, the fact that we have to phase down coal because we have most of our growth coming uh, now and if if we are happy to fuel that growth with low carbon intensive um sources that's that's a big positive that i take um happy to hear you saying that sorbi uh, you mentioned finance i would like to move over to steeg because steeg works in um in nuvrad uh, which is the um, Uh, agency that uh, finances projects um around the world um to help uh, nations develop um we also read a lot about how the how india was making a pledge to provide 100 billion us dollars annually that this has not been met uh and india was demanding much more action from the western countries um so what is your take on that um steeg norway before uh, cop 26 started our prime minister and our minister of climate went uh, to um, to to england and informing everybody that norway has doubled its climate fi- climate finance support and please tell us steeg why did norway do that and what are norway's expectation from that aid steeg please Yeah, uh thank you Rina. I I think it was clearly a recognition that uh, that it's both important to show that we we try to do our our part and also try to motivate others to uh, to do uh, the same. Um so Norway promised to double its uh, climate financing and within that to to drastically improve also or to increase the the amount going to adaptation or to to tackling the consequences of of climate change which i think is an important point as well in in addition to to the pure climate financing we're also trying to do much more on on energy and the way we're thinking around that is you know in in terms of the enormous investments that are needed what you can do with development financing is limited but if we try to leverage our funding so we were trying to work on guarantees so we uh, in cop 26 we also launched a new guarantee scheme uh, together with the the world bank to um, improve the profitability of investing in uh, distributed energy such as uh, solar and small scale wind so uh, i think this will also be an important contribution to to that uh, change that we need to uh, see happening. Truls, you are also based in Norway. 
And um, you have been very vocal about Norway's role at COP26. Um, what is your take on the fact that Norway has doubled its climate finance support? And yeah, I would like to hear from you. What are your views on the whole COP26? Please enlighten us. Well, uh, Norway has this beautiful tradition to be uh, behave very nicely in international climate uh, conferences like this, and uh, and is generally seen as a sort of as a deal maker, deal breaker, um, good negotiators, uh, and of course we, we we have always been helpful in delivering uh, various types of climate finance, in particular uh, rainforest finance, but also this initiative that Stig mentioned now, which I think is very, very good and smart use of, uh, of, of money that, that other countries should follow. But of course, we, we are also <laughs> very, very dependent on our oil economy and has been fiercely defending any climate restriction that could that could impact our role as a fossil fuel supplier and fossil fuel um, benefiter. Uh, so, kind of when when India gets criticism for for wanting to have a slightly different language on coal, uh, of course Norway managed to succeed that oil is not even mentioned and has never been mentioned. Um, and we're also focusing very much on sort of taking away the responsibility for for our exported emissions and, and have this uh, this accounting system that focuses only on emissions in, in, in sort of user countries, whether that is for production for our consumption or if it is consumption of our products. Uh, so, 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 so we have a double face and when we deliver a lot of climate finance, uh, it's, uh, it's good, but compared to the, the gain we get from exporting the problem, it's still extremely marginal. So, uh, so uh, it should be no surprise that, uh, that Norway pays up, and I think we should pay up much, much more, especially if we continue to insist on, on allowing ourselves to, to, uh, to expand our fossil fuel sector. Uh, in the face of climate change and and, uh, and the, the iron logic that we have already found more fossil fuels than the world can ever afford to burn within any reasonable climate target. Um, Norway should be rich enough and moral enough and scientific enough to at least keep our resources in the ground um, and pay up much, much more than we already do. We're not paying our fair share and we're not reducing our fair share. I would like to continue and ask Stig the same question, but please allow me to do a small recap because we have been having people joining us. To all of you who joined uh, five minutes after we opened the room, please allow me to inform you that the topic for today's uh, conversation is India's face out to face down. We have later heard that it was actually not India who, who made these changes. Um, uh, please be informed that this conversation today will be recorded uh, and it will be posted on our podcast next week. You are all free to join the stage, so please start raising your hands if you have questions to our prominent guests. We have with us Surubi Singhvi from India. She is Manager for Energy at World Business Council for Sustainable Development. And we also have with us Stig Trovik. He is Director of Climate and Environment in Nordat, the Norwegian Government Agency for Development Corporation. 
Asik, I assume you are the one who's going to hand out the money as well. <laughs> uh, and then we also have with us Truls Gulovsen, who has been very vocal in Norwegian media that Norway have to do more. Uh, Truls is managing director at Naturvernforbundet. I want to go back to what Truls just said, and that this goes to you, Stig. Truls uh, said that Norway should take um, a stronger position and a stronger role when it comes to um, to leading this way and 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 he said that finance is just something he takes for granted what is your take on that Stig? Um, I think we, we, we do have a responsibility and I, I think we're trying to take that uh, seriously let me uh, but let me uh, maybe answer it in a, in a slightly different uh, way. I think very interestingly, the, the COP is becoming an arena where much of this is, is discussed also, you know, outside the formal forum. Uh, and uh, the idea that all development work should also be consistent with the Paris Agreement is, is gaining a lot of traction. So we, we organized uh, an event also during the COP together with other, other uh, financing agencies to look at how we're approaching this both in terms of reducing our own footprint, but also in making sure that whatever we do actually contributes to, to uh, meeting the, the, the Paris uh, objectives, be it also through other, other uh, parts of development like uh, education or, or health. Um, so I think that, that, that's one uh, part of it. I think Truls is, is right that... Uh, it is not done, yeah, with the with the commitments already uh, already made. Uh, but in this uh, this uh, uh, regard, I would also point to sort of the importance of mobilizing also the the private sector, and I think this COP was quite interesting in that um, the uh, focus on nature. Is, uh, is back, something I suppose that Trolls is also uh, happy about to a much bigger extent, extent than, than ever before. Uh, another positive uh, was that uh, indigenous peoples, their voice is increasingly being, uh, being heard, and also that the private sector is, uh, is joining in, uh, in, uh, with serious commitments also in terms of, uh, of financing. So uh, I guess the, where sort of uh, Trull's role uh, and my role will be slightly different is that very often I think I will try to say that the glass is half uh, full while Trull's might say that it's half, half empty. So I guess that's, uh, it depends sort of on your starting point uh, as well. Then I would like to go back to Sulbi because what Stig said here that it's um, a lot of players in this field, and he specifically mentioned mentioned private sector. So Sulbi, you who are working with companies in India, um, what is your take on Indian companies' commitment towards um, what happened at COP twenty six? Sure, I think uh, the Indian companies have taken it pretty well, the way uh, the targets were announced. Um, what also got missed in uh, the phase-out versus phase-down debate is also uh, four other key announcements that the Indian government made about 
targets that have been set in uh, rather short term which is until 2030 so those targets are something which includes having 50% uh, of our electricity requirements from renewable sources um and 500 gigawatt renewable uh, no sorry renewable capacity non fossil fuel capacity uh, in the power mix um so these are some of the targets that uh, near term targets that indian government has set for itself uh, which has really given a boost to uh, leaders in have taken which have which had already taken uh, very progressive steps in terms of sustainability so there are companies which have announced uh, net zero targets for themselves uh, way before the government even talked about it or even thought about it there are also uh, companies that have taken up um uh, obligations and voluntarily uh, about being 100% renewable energy sourced uh, uh, sourcing all their uh, mainly energizing all their operations through uh, renewable energy by uh, some by 2050 so i think it's the indian companies have already been at the forefront uh, and have been encouraging the policy makers and the indian government to support them because uh, when indian when companies take a bold step um, of course uh, that it it comes as an encouragement to uh, policy makers and governments as well uh, so i think it has been taken very well uh, even the phase down of coal is something i remember talking to indian companies uh, before and talking about how coal we have to go past coal and coal is not uh the way forward uh if we have to uh, win this race towards sustainability and every almost every indian company shied away uh public although they completely understood and uh completely agreed with the uh, solution they still never thought or never uh, thought it to be tickle to say it in public gatherings that they want to or they have plans to go past coal um but i think with the announcements made um by the uh, indian prime minister it is going to be much easier for uh, the indian companies to take that bold step given that they know that it's that it's it's also the government's uh, point of view uh, so i think it's 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 has been very very well received by the indian companies uh, of course the indian companies also have a very important role to play here because they are also uh, the people who would be showing the way uh, to the economy because they are driving growth in the economy and uh, they have to uh, really be at the forefront in adoption of new technologies in uh, because you know when we when we talk about uh, having more renewables in the mix having uh, going past coal in uh, our operations there are a lot of new technologies that play a critical role including hydrogen including storage including even network connectivity and the way the markets are uh, dealt with so i think uh, it is a big responsibility for the indian companies but i think it's been well matched by the indian government has well matched the uh, indian companies uh, bold actions previously and now um, it has to be both of them both indian government and the companies that have to uh, roll this ball going forward because policy support is as important as uh, business action on this Well, this was really positive uh, information for all of us in this room to hear that India Indian companies are so 
proactive. But what we also um, experienced during COP26 is actually, we all know that China is a superpower now. You know, China uh, is defining a lot of things happening on the global scene. But India also, through COP26, uh, shaped probably the whole world. Um, so I would like to hear from all of you, actually, um, when it comes to my next question. Because India is now in a unique situation where it's also facing some of the worst impacts of climate change. Is it time for India to take a more proactive role at the international stage? Stieg, let's start with you and then we'll move to Truls and then we'll move to Surbi. Go ahead, Stieg, Surbi and Truls and also Thuraf. Is it time for India to take a more proactive international role? Go ahead, Stieg. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, I, uh, I think that uh, leading developing countries are already taking uh, a proactive role in these discussions, and I think that's what we've, we're, we're seeing in in the COP. I think, I think that's that's where it is also a very interesting arena because what what India, China, Indonesia uh, does. Uh, has a big impact and it's uh, it's the um, listen to at the same time I, you know, I i i think it is reasonable also that big developing countries uh, are clear about where they need time for this transition um, and clearly uh, it is harder to uh, to transition while, as Surbi touched uh, on, you're also still trying to lift people out of, uh, of poverty. So it, it is a complicated uh, job, um, but I think it's positive and welcome that uh, leading developing countries are taking, uh, taking a leading role in many of these uh, discussions. So I would say, yes, and it's happening. Surbi, you next. Sure. Um, I think uh, I completely agree with Stig that it, developing, country, developing countries are taking leading roles already. Um, if you actually look at the statistics, uh, in, IEA expects that India's, the growth in energy demand in India is going to be the largest uh, in, in, in the world, at least until 2040. And uh, so is the case with, uh, I mean, a number of other developing countries because they are growing, uh, their energy demand is also growing uh, as against the developed, more developed countries uh, where uh, it's either stagnant or even reducing due to energy efficiency, etc. So I think just because of this, uh, because they're going to be the drivers going forward, um, it is very important that they take leadership roles. Um, just a couple of examples on... Um, how and when India has taken leadership role already. I think uh, an announcement was made during uh, COP21 on the International Solar Alliance, which was put in place by India and France originally. And the role of the Solar Alliance was to ensure that they take up, um, take the lead in telling the world about how they led their uh, renewable energy journeys and help and support other nations to do well in the space. Uh, with this, the same alliance has also announced at the recent COP uh, that in Glasgow that an initiative that they've called One Solar, One World and One Grid, which is essentially about connecting the whole world uh, through one grid to ensure that 
uh, you make up for uh, the sun is not uh, the, i mean relatively speaking uh, the sun is not there in uh, one country you make make it up um, by another country uh, supplying power to you at those times so i think uh, leadership role has already been taken another example of it is uh, an initiative which is um i mean india has led uh, in infrastructure for resilient island states i think it's a very good example of how uh, while india is solving its own problems it is also at the forefront in helping uh, countering uh, the uh, repercussions of uh, climate change and uh, it's it's really uh, leading uh, that infrastructure support for the resilient island states as part of an initiative called the coalition for uh, disaster resilient infrastructure just to ensure that they support the vulnerable island countries so i think these are just a couple of examples there are a number of other examples as well but i think that's already happening and it's it's much needed as well not to not to say that uh, other countries should not i i very much believe in the fact that it has to be a very very collective effort so all countries have to come together uh, without one being seen as a leader and other as others as followers uh but it's good to see that uh, leading uh, that developing countries are taking a leadership role uh, uh in in this through your take and then i would like to hear from tudolf as well now it's sort of um my turn to you know agree that i think the glass is uh, half uh, full because because uh, um i i think india has got the sort of slightly un and um and the served role as being the laggard in these negotiations as we started with the discussion about language on facing down and out call etc it's it's not fair because of course everybody understands that or should understand that that we we may lose the fight against climate change if india continues a complete coal based pathway but india has already stated very clearly that that's not the intention and i think the examples uh, sorbe has has as mentioned now with the initiatives towards indian private sector the the guidance from government quite strong commitments to to change course are very very promising and india should be proud of that and sort of take ownership for that development and be clear about what type of need kind of help and assistance and cooperation platforms they would need with the rest of the world to make this transition actually happen in the right way uh, rather than sort of be in a position where other countries oil nations like norway can sort of say well india is not good enough because they have some language problems about, uh, around coal that's that's not fair um but, but i think it's it's maybe also some of the dynamic in the in the climate change negotiation process where where india has been silent and 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 not so not taken so much active ownership for many years and uh, and uh, should do so more actively now and be more proud of of what india is actually doing and perhaps that can also change some of the sort of negative dynamic around it uh, because india can do a lot on its own but also perhaps even more together with other countries in uh, in uh, positive cooperation um very insightful points you made there truth tudolf yeah. now you with us thank Let you interview you to tudolf tudolf has actually both in china and india this is his first time on clubhouse uh, and he's so passionate about the topic uh, that he's actually sitting in a cafe to join us tudolf 
I have asked the students a lot of questions. Now, please feel free to comment and and share your thoughts on the topics we have been talking about. Thank you, Anna, and thank you for inviting me. And apologies uh, for my uh, rather rusty voice. I still have a cold I'm struggling with. Uh, let me first of all emphasize that I'm uh, employed by the Norwegian Foreign Service. Uh, it also happens that I work there. Uh, on this occasion, I'm here to, as a private person. We're still not yet at uh, after working hours, but I took the liberty of taking off the last hour to join you guys. Uh, so, uh, when I'm not a bureaucrat slash diplomat, I'm basically a player uh, on different stages. So, I would like to make a few comments based on the premise that I'm a player. And one game is the game of good cop and bad cop. Glasgow, uh, was it a good cop or a bad cop? I would say it was a medium cop. Better than Copenhagen, not quite up to Paris, but generally speaking, not a bad cop. My second point is, um, uh, when you play a game, it's very good to know what big game you're playing. Are you playing cards or are you playing chess? And the people who chose to travel to Glasgow, they were playing cards. And the game was basically, and now I have to excuse my lack of English uh, sophistication, but in Norwegian we have a card game called Svartepet. I don't know what that's called in English, but anyway, you don't want to be Svartepet. What I've observed over the last 20 years is that India not only ends up with Svartepet as perceived from the outside, but actually enjoys it and actively pursues the role of ending up with Svartepet. And that is because India is a clever player on the global stage of games. And now you're wondering what I want with all this. The point is, the real players are not playing cards, they're playing chess. Uh, one of the two big chess players showed up and played cards, although he's really playing chess. The big player who is playing chess and didn't show up, didn't show up because he's playing chess. Um, so, to get to more concrete points. India did pursue and achieve to be seen as the bad guy in the card game, which was, um, you know, basically, you know, they received all the flack that they wanted to achieve. And the reason being that they got all the attention on all the poverty in, on India, which is real. Uh, as a reason, and a very good reason, for them to move from facing out to facing down. Uh, but nonetheless, regardless of India and China and the US, Europe, Norway, we all agree that our objective is to transform from a fossil-based economy to a green economy. The question is not really whether we are going there. The question is who is doing what to get there? Who is paying the price and who is getting the benefits? Uh, so, in this context, my observation is that the most sophisticated chess player did not travel to Glasgow. Yeah, so my, my, I'll leave a couple of bullet points. Point number one, the real decision makers are in Beijing and Washington DC. The uh, second fiddlers are several places, including in Delhi, in Brussels, and uh, third or fourth fiddler is Norway. Uh, the essential point is not whether we should move from 
fossil to green, but how to do it, who's doing what to get there. And that is a question about uh, disbursement, distribution of cost and benefit. And I'll leave a couple of very important points. The conversation so far in this particular conversation and also in Glasgow in the media before, under and after has been between rich and poor countries. Uh, which is important, definitely, and after all we're in an intergovernmental setting, so we deal with countries. However, the real players, the real decision makers are not countries, but individuals and directly and indirectly companies. So if you really want to solve the problem, you need to move the conversation away from rich countries not doing enough and poor countries being so poor that they had to dig out coal to survive and have food on the table tomorrow, uh, which we all know. Uh, let's take that as a given. Uh, and I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm just saying that if you really want to make progress, you need to add to that conversation the following. Talk about rich people and poor people, regardless of their passport. And just at this point at least, let me close my remark by saying the following. If you look at the richest man in India, in Asia, and not, not in India, but in Asia, uh, his, um, his name is Mukesh Ambani. He has a 50-story private uh, residence, downtown Mumbai, with a helicopter platform on the top. He's worth $85 billion. And if you add to him the man next on the list of rich men in India, you have a fortune equivalent to half of the Norwegian oil fund. And I ask as a private person, and I'm a you know, bureaucrat in Norway making a rather modest income to be honest, why should I, or not to mention my uh, you know, sick grandmother, uh, not grandmother, my mother, why should they compromise the living standard because the Norwegian passport tells them so, while the billionaire worth $80 billion uh, flying helicopters out of his residence in Mumbai because of his passport is off the hook. That's my question number one. My question number two is, um, what can Norway do as a state in the intergovernmental setting and what can we as players in this conversation game do to influence that transformation from a discussion between, and I'm not longer talking about what needs to be done because we only know what needs to be done. The question is, who is doing what? And we need to move beyond passports to individuals and groups of individuals, companies, uh, the real players. When can we start talking about the fact that 10 individuals in India are worth half the Norwegian petroleum fund and why should they be coming to Glasgow putting all the 1 billion poor Indians in front of them saying we cannot do this, we cannot do that because we're so poor. And then I meet people on my train, which is always late by the way, uh, who cannot afford to pay their ticket to travel green because they have a minimum wage in Norway. That should be the conversation. And it's related to the sustainable development of the triangle, which is blue for growth, green for ecology, and red for justice. Thank you. Turaf, you made so interesting points that I actually think we should have another conversation where we take your questions forward. So I would like to invite you for another conversation. At a, maybe next week we can do that. Uh, I know that Truth has commitment. He has something burning at his work. Uh, but Truth, I have a last question for you. And we're actually going to wind up because we have scheduled this event for 45 minutes. Uh, before you leave Truth, 
Um, and I hope Steeg and Surbi uh, and Turaf can stay here for 10 more minutes so Sumit can ask his question. I have a question for you, Truls, before you leave us. And that is like Gen Z climate warriors like Greta Thunberg. There were a lot of Gen Z um, youngsters at COP26. They have shown the disappointment with the actions in the direction of climate. What do you think about it, Turs? Well, I think I think youth and, and activists all over the world have, have lots of good reasons to be extremely disappointed with with uh, with uh, politicians' inability to deal with the climate crisis. Uh, on a general basis. Uh, at the same time, I think the actual COP in Glasgow uh, delivered more or less what we could expect given the, let's say, current state of play um, globally. So, so, um, so although we are completely not on track with with the 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 need to take climate change seriously, uh, I think that the COP based on what we could expect, uh, delivered quite well. And, 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 and that's, sort of, let's say, the, the, the private sector, the focus on, on forest and nature, the, the, the focus on indigenous rights, the, the, the recommitment to 1.5 to 2 degrees as, as the real target, uh, and many other uh, interesting commitments, in particular to keep the process alive, meet again, see each other in the eyes, perhaps even the chess and card players can uh, can meet and uh, eye to eye um, every second year is is important to continue to develop and build trust around the global community's cooperation to tackle climate change. So so I think kind of it delivered close to what we could hope and expect, but of course <laughs> not enough, which means that that people have all the right reasons to be to be uh, angry impatient and frustrated and uh, and continue to push for more but that push is not only going to be shouldn't only be around the cops in glasgow it should be in particular uh, in every country uh, because that's where the hard work needs to happen also Yes, you're absolutely right. And what Turaf pointed out, there are many players here and they all uh, have to play uh, their part. Uh, Truth, you are free to leave us because I know that there is something burning at your office uh, work-wise. Uh, but Stig and Surbi, before we allow... Sorry, Sumit, thank you so much for, for being so patient with us. What is your take on Gen Z um, Stig uh, and their disappointment and then of course this would be with India having 500 million uh, youngsters below the age of 25 I would love to hear your views as well come on Stig yeah I, I think Truth covered that uh, pretty well I, I you know I think we we need we need everyone uh, around the, the table yeah we we need the, the cop and we need what's going on in the, in the neg negotiations Maybe it's a good time and thing that they cannot meet too often, yeah. Because when negotiators have too much time to to uh, to spend on negotiating, it uh, it may complicate things. Uh, but I, uh, as truth, I think it delivered pretty much what we could expect. 
But I think also it's young people's role to be impatient and to uh, to push it and push us. It's also civil society's role to be impatient uh, and push us. And uh, as governments, it's our role to to try to find out what is what is possible, what is feasible, how how fast can we uh, can we move. So uh, uh, we. Uh, we recognize the uh, the role of uh, of young people, and we may not always agree on on the language or or the uh, exact way that uh, they characterize uh, us. At the same time, I think we uh, we need we, we need them there. Yeah. Surbi, India has such a huge population below the age of twenty five. What is your take on Gen Z? climate warriors and their disappointment from COP26? Sure. I think uh, I completely agree with uh, both Tick and Rules that uh, we very much need Gen Z to question the businesses, to question the politicians about what has been done and what has not been done. Uh, of course, uh, I think COP26 and generally COP needs to be more inclusive of uh, the people outside of COP. Uh, so, um, I think it, has, it is a platform that can bridge that uh, gap where we know that both the young population outside of COP that we saw this time and uh, the discussions inside with businesses and politicians, the aims are pretty much the same. Uh, everyone is uh, sort of planning or wanting to achieve um, or win the race against climate change and towards sustainability. Uh, it's just that Probably the Gen Z saw it as greenwashing uh, and the businesses uh, think that they are doing their best. Uh, but of course, they, they we have to have Gen Z uh, questioning the businesses about whether it's greenwashing or not. Uh, so that checks are checks and balances are maintained. Um, so I, I, I think every stakeholder here has and we need all of them. It's just that we need to be more inclusive. Uh, we need to bring these different stakeholders together uh, and find ways to bringing them together to ensure that we do uh, uh, we do our actions and so that our actions targets that we have set for ourselves. Thank you. A big big thank you to all of you who joined. Obviously, this is a topic that creates a lot of interest. I'm surprised to see that more than 60 persons have been in and out of this conversation. Uh, and let's continue the dialogue. I wish you all a wonderful day ahead. Bye-bye. <laughs>